Welcome back to Firewall. I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. Today is a Tuesday episode, so with us is our friend and producer, Hugo Lundgren. Hugo, how's it going? It's going well, and I just want to say that Megan is here. Hi, Megan. Left. I, I know you know that since she's sitting well, right I didn't know if she you. was like sitting I, in to talk or just sitting well, in just that. It's, it's funny, Megan, because she's my chief of staff, has this like weird uh, ability, uh, I guess, permission, privilege, whatever it is. She can just attend any meeting she wants. Right. And so sometimes I walk in the room and she's there. I'm like, all right, she chose to come to this meeting. Right. Like, so I don't even ask questions anymore. Are you Hello. talking on this podcast or are you uh, just listening? Only if Something necessary. Comes up? Yep. Yeah. Okay. It cool. depends on what you say, Bradley. That, I think, is the is yeah. the answer to the question. Fair enough. But as I was telling her before, because we've been talking about the university president's thing a little bit, and I was like, you know, Bradley's thing on that was really, you know, it was not unhinged at all. Like, it was like... <laughs> Thank um, you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Um, so anyway, Bradley, we're, we're going to talk about university presidents. We're going to yep. talk about some new polling yep. with Biden and Trump, which is uh, problematic, at least for Biden. Yeah, and um, a, a larger thesis around why we may just be looking at strings of one-term uh, elected officials. Right, correct. Yeah. Um, we're also going to be talking um, about the new IA, I, I, AI uh, laws in um, in the EU, yep. and you have a fun little sports thing at the end, which yep. will which we won't tell you about. You're just going to have to wait to to find out. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Go ahead. So um, on the university presidents, like I, I don't want to get into it's been clawed over to death. So in terms of although not done yet, I would say no, no. I guess Harvard's apparently meeting today to decide what to do with Claudine. Is her name Claudine? Is her first name? Yes, Claudine Gay. Dr. Gay. Yes, yeah. that's correct. Um, but but I, I guess here was the point that I was wondering about, which is, all right, let's put aside the sort of prevalence of anti-Semitism, both generally in, in hum, human beings and especially on the left, and put aside sort of whole culture gone amok sort of concerns for a moment. The, the view has been that these three presidents are exhibits A, B, and C of everything that's wrong with academia today because they are the ones leading this totally skewed, screwed up culture. And my question is, are they the progenitors of the culture or are they actually sort of the ultimate products of it? It's a problem either way. But but I, but get, I don't think that's a question in your mind, right? I mean, well, you would I, argue that they are in fact. I think so. I just remember when the products I, of it. because look, so the the remarkable thing that you know everyone has concluded after that congressional hearing was like, how do these three clearly highly, highly intelligent, accomplished people have so little common sense as to a very obvious yes or no question, they couldn't say yes, and by the way, cost one of them their jobs and potentially all three of them their jobs and careers. As, as a result, and I was thinking back to law school where, you know, and I went to, to a really kind of conceptual place in the University of Chicago, and it was Socratic, and so they could talk, they could question you for like an hour. You did not get thrown out of the University of Chicago, right? No, why would I have thrown out? I don't know. I, no, I'm just joking. Um, no, I, th I think they, I like to think that they appreciated my alternative uh, take on the law. Um, but one case where I know they did appreciate it was sometimes, you know, my classmates were by and large brilliant, right? Like really fucking smart. Um, and they would ask these questions and sometimes the answer wasn't in the text of the book or in some other legal text. The answer was in common sense. Right. And, um... I kind of had it like the like, I don't think the teachers ever really called on me to get like great legal analysis of anything, but when they needed someone to just see the common sense answer and say it, like that's when they called on me, uh, and I was like, yeah, I could totally see how the, you know people who sort of are incredibly well educated and they go through this entire 
system and career, and they never leave the ivory tower, or for that matter, the lawyers at Wilmer Hare that that prepared these academic presidents so so badly for it. Um, where you know, they're I'm sure they were right on the law and policy and everything else. Um, and there's this missing element of common sense. And so it gets to the broader question of like, do we teach the right things in school? So I'm, I'm going to read what I wrote here just because I think it captures it better than okay. I can say it. Um, maybe instead of being the progenitors of wrongheaded culture, the three university presidents are actually their ultimate products, incredibly academically intelligent and accomplished people who never learn basic common sense and basic communication skills. It seems to me that as my kids go through life, the skills they really need to develop are not at all what they learn at school. They need compassion and empathy, not a trigger finger to call people racist at the drop of a hat. They need toughness and street smarts, not the ability to quote liberally from Macbeth. They need the ability to know right from wrong, to spot immediately when something just doesn't make sense, and the courage to just say so. They need to know how human emotions work, what ultimately produces happiness, and how to prioritize that, how to take care of your mental health, what good relationships look like. This doesn't mean that academics aren't valuable. There were times in school where I encountered an idea or a book that was truly wonderful and transformative. But the latter can't come with the exception of the former, and maybe these three university presidents are exhibit A of a system that misses the point. So, you know, to me, we're not even, this is stuff that, that should be taught super early, right? So I think you've heard me say before, like in 2022, I learned dialectical behavioral therapy, and it's basic ability to help you just understand how and why people think and how to communicate with them and how to show them that you hear them and understand them, even if you're not going to do what they want, was so remarkable that I was like, we should take this instead of Spanish, right? Right. Because like, it's like especially, I don't want to pick on languages, but like, and I know that- Let's not pick on Spanish either. No, Let's but just, pick on French, Latin, Sure, yeah. whatever. Yeah, French is always easy to pick on. Right. Um, yeah, exactly. Everyone agrees like, with it. Um, and I know that there, are, I'm sure there's plenty of data to show that if foreign language skills develop other intellectual skills and, and whatever else. But overall, it seems to me, if you just take high school, whatever, um, you don't really learn the language. And if you live in that country, you learn it whether or not you took it in high right. school. So I don't really see, I, just, I can't imagine that many people who like discover it in high school and then purely through academic study become fluent French speakers for the rest of their lives, right? So rather than spending time on that, you know, why not teach DBT? Why not teach something more around basic mental health? Why not try to teach people basic stuff around common sense? Here's weird situations that life throws at you, and how are you going to handle them, right? Um, like, for example, uh, you know, he doesn't let me do it anymore because now he's in high school, but when, up until, like, la last year, Lyle and I read the New York Post together every single morning. I'd forgotten that you'd stop that. Yeah, he just hit the... Well, now he, like, wants to sleep as as you understand, as a teenager, yes. to the last possible second. Um, and he's never tired at night when it's time the to The quality time with dad in the morning isn't quite as is, appealing to him is, as it used to be? Nah, somehow oh my it's God. the same. Um, but we read the Post every day, and in a weird way, it kind of was a daily lesson in common sense because there was at least one article every day about some powerful person who did something stupid, right? <laughs> right. Like sexually harassed someone, or stole something, whatever it was, right? Um, and there was therefore almost an object lesson of how not to behave every single day that he was learning before school. Um, and I didn't, wasn't doing it as a way to teach common sense. I was doing it because he was interested in the paper and it was a fun way to spend time with him every morning. Um, but overall, I, I do think that it may have inadvertently had some of that value. 
But so, so just like, yes, these three university presidents really screwed up, and whatever price they pay for it, they're going to pay, and I don't feel particularly badly for them. But, can I get, can I give yeah. you an inverse example of yeah. yours with with Lyle, which I like a lot? Yeah. So I, I I sometimes think about why my sort of political instincts are so bad. Like I just like one of the are reasons. One, well, just like the, one of the reasons I like talking to you about politics and stuff is because you kind of cut right to the the sort of like the the kind of core of like what what drives people and what incentives are and stuff like that. And it's 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 just not the way politics is like written about and covered usually. I mean, sometimes it is, but but rarely. And my upbringing, like my political education, such as it was, was like watching PBS with my mom in the kitchen while she was making dinner. Like, you know, we have like the little TV in the that, kitchen. That, that is playing. the Anthony New York Post. We, yeah. It's the Anthony New York Post. And what it teaches you, it, it's not that like bad things don't happen because, of course, they do all the time and, and PBS covers them and stuff. But it, it does kind of divide the world between like good guys and bad guys. And the good guys are all really intelligent and decent. And you identify with them and you think, well, that's that's who should be running the world. And those people are... So you would vote for like Hercule Poirot as president? <laughs> I guess something like that. But so like like Jimmy Carter, like like was I mean not that he was he obviously was a great guy in certain certain regards, sure. but like the the fact that we me and my mom agreed with him, we we were sort of like we we just imagined like I was shocked later to learn that when Jimmy Carter was the governor of Georgia, mm-hmm. he who is the guy the guy in Vietnam the the uh, the the lieutenant Lieutenant Cali who like you know like killed like all the the Vietnamese in the in the village of My Lai. So he was convicted of, I guess, murder, something terrible. And there was a big protest among a lot of governors, including in Georgia. And he was opposed to the um, to the conviction of of Lieutenant Cali. And there was a protest, something about like the streetlights were out or everyone drove without their headlight or they drove their headlights on like one whole day to show like support for Lieutenant Cali. And Governor Carter was in favor of that. So you just think like, what? <laughs> but he wanted to be reelected governor of Georgia. I guess that's what it was required. Not picking on, you know, American soldiers, no matter what they did. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Good, I, good that's, a, that's a terrible tangent. But yeah. anyway, let's go back to university presidents. So, because where do you think this goes from here? Because we, we, we have. Not, not, not where I wanted to in the sense of like, it'll just keep echoing around the same echo chamber of you know, wokeism or whatever else, which again, I I don't necessarily disagree with all of that, but it, what it won't do is go in the direction that I just suggested, which is, you know, is is what we saw actually an example of the fact that the, the underlying system is so screwed up that people don't have the basic skill sets they need to function in the world. Um, that's not what people are asking about in this case so far that I've seen other than than me. So I don't think it goes in any direction that I would like to see it go. And is there a way you would like to see the sort of reassertion of common sense into this issue right now? Or is that just is it just the barn door is flown open? I mean, I think, I mean, here's, look, you worked at the New York Times for years. Like, there is no issue that captures the ethos and pathos of the New York Times more than a controversy in an Ivy League school. Like, it is everything they love and hate and all the mess of contradictions that make up the people who work at the New York Times embodied in one thing. And so they're never going to want or let the subject change to something more useful. Okay. Well said. Um, Let's talk about Biden's poll numbers and yeah. what's going on. Yeah. So this is a continuation of something we've been talking about. It's not getting any better. What- it's not getting better. And and but I guess I wanted to just advance a, a concept that I'm thinking about, which is or two concepts actually, because then one cuts into mobile voting. Um, which is, you know, there was more polling this weekend. Wall Street Journal has 
Biden ahead. I saw a CNN poll this morning that in like Georgia and Michigan or two of the swing states, you know, Trump's ahead. Um, and so the question is, we know the voters are really unhappy, right? These are not outlier polls. And I think we at this podcast at least believe that the problem is not that voters are unaware of what a piece of shit Trump is. They're fully aware of it and they're choosing to make the trade-off anyway, right? I know that there are some people on the far left that think that if we can just have one more example of his immorality, then everyone will finally get it. Like, they get it. That's not the issue. Um, so Biden, though, substantively, he's very old, and that clearly is just a huge liability for him. But, but he's also substantively been a reasonably effective and successful president. You know, people may or may not sort of think Biden is like successful, but the economy is certainly not in the toilet. We're not in a ground war. Usually in that situation, the, the incumbent president doesn't lose. But, you know, if you take a half a step back, maybe we're heading into a cycle in a world where every politician pretty much is wildly unpopular. And, you know, every competitive race ends up with the challenger winning for, for the foreseeable future because there's sort of three factors that would just make things feel inherently terrible that are almost impossible for an elected official, at least in the span of one term, to fix. Um, the first is, is the unhappiness machine that we call social media, right? So it, it does two things. One, it shows you a version of everyone else's life that looks much better than your life, right? And yes, that version is curated and fake and everything else. And you may even know that on some level, but nonetheless, it just inherently is designed to make people feel inadequate, by the way, which is also the underlying sort of thesis of capitalism, which then gets you to buy things because you think if I buy this thing, then I'll feel better and be happy. Um, combined, though, with every bad thing that ever happens anywhere is now seen by everyone everywhere all the time magnified by a million because all those fucking morons they had their commentary to it on top of that. Um, it was like a little thing, but like I noticed when I was reading the, the, the post on Saturday morning, there was a story about a home invasion in LA. And it wasn't like a celebrity's home, right? It was just like a regular home. And um, Did anything terrible happen? I don't think so. I don't yeah. think it was like, you know, six people slaughtered or whatever. <laughs> um, so I was kind of like, well, why, why is this in the New York paper? Who gives a shit? And I think it's just because Everything is everywhere, as that movie said, all, all at once, right? And so it doesn't matter now. So it feels it's, like it's right down the street from you, like, even though it's like 100 yeah, miles so away. Yeah, so every single bad away. thing that happens is magnified and localized immediately. And so the internet makes you feel terrible about yourself and terrible about the world. Then number two, at least in this country, and this is where Trump's kind of not wrong, his just solution is wrong, like the competitive advantage of just being an American and therefore that guaranteeing you a certain style of living or job or anything else doesn't exist anymore because the world has opened up dramatically and people are competing all over the globe right now. And so you can't just show up and all of a sudden, you know, regardless of how hard you work or what education you got or anything else, and automatically get a good paying job um, and succeed. You know, just the virtue of being an American is no longer sufficient for that. But as a result, you know, we will be the, you know, the, this will be the part of the first generation that really does do worse than their parents in this country. And that, that may continue for a long time. Um, now you'll still see some people doing exceptionally well, um, the same ones who are probably right now at, uh, you know, at, at Harvard debating whether or not to get rid of the president. Um, <laughs> All fixated on that, right? Yeah. But, um, but so... Being in this country doesn't feel that great, and it is very easy for demagogues on the right and the left to exploit that and make people feel even worse. And look, from a macro standpoint, 
you know, and we've said this in the podcast before, the world is statistically better than it's ever been, right? In the sense of, if you look at, you know, extreme poverty, life expectancy, infant mortality, literacy, like all these metrics, billions of people have a better life today than they had 75 years ago. Um, you know, the period between World War II and COVID, that 75 years, was probably the most productive period in, in, in human history. But even during that period, to a certain extent, it did come at the expense of the locked-in competitive advantage of the United States, right? So, yes, a dude in Indiana may not automatically now just have a job waiting for him uh, at a factory that's going to you know, give him a, a good living. Ten people in India are probably now no longer living in extreme poverty, and you can argue, I think I would argue, that that's actually more important and better. Um, but in terms of people here feeling badly about their lives and their futures, and that's number two, and the number three is when you and I grew up, we faced sort of one global existential risk, which was nuclear warfare. Look, that risk still exists. It's actually probably more significant than ever because proliferation of nuclear weapons has become much greater than ever. But then add on to it climate risk, AI risk, and pandemic risk. I mean, COVID was terrible, but at the same time, it was actually kind of mild, right? I mean, you could have had a pandemic that spread and transmitted just as easily that killed people immediately, right, upon, upon contracting it. So... Um, and I'm pretty sure that there are diseases in labs right now, just like COVID was in, in China, um, that could probably do that. And so, again, we're relying on some level of goodwill and luck and everything else to prevent that from happening. Um, and so you're living under the threat of all of these things with a basic view of humanity that's terrible, right? So therefore, like, why would you think that humanity can hold out indefinitely and avoid destroying ourselves in, in one form or another? So you, you pull that together and things feel terrible. The political system's totally broken. And I think it just doesn't matter anymore to a certain extent who the incumbent is or what party they're in. I just think the challenger is always now going to be advantaged. And I think that, you know, poll, like... Well, he, let's let's bring this yeah. to Biden. So... so I, I think you've built a pretty good case for why he's in deep shit. Yeah. Um, what does he do? <laughs> right. So, so one of the things obviously people wanted seems to be right. water under the bridge at this point was that he would not run. Um, well, I, so I'll, I'll throw out a scenario at the okay. end about that that I was thinking about. Do you want to throw that now, or do you want to? I'll I'll I'll, I'll cut this. So the, the okay. first thing is it's it's what we Bob and I talked about in the podcast last week, which is um, I believe that the voters. Fully, he, Joe Biden has 100% name ID. Donald Trump has 100% name ID. No one is going to learn anything about either of them that's going to change their opinion at this point. Um, Biden is counting on a criminal conviction of Trump to then get people to say, well, now finally I can't vote for this guy. And I just think that that is wildly unrealistic. So There's no percentage of, like, I mean, obviously he only needs a sliver. You don't think he can I get hope, anything. I hope so, but I just... Wouldn't count on it. The guy's been indicted on 91 counts of criminal activity, and he's leading. So right. I, I don't know. It doesn't seem like. And it. also, I don't think that Biden, I, the when you were saying the far left and yeah. them like going after Trump being just the worst person, I actually have seen that that's like Trump really isn't part of the conversation right now. It's really like attacking Biden, which doesn't leave a solution for the far left because they if eat, it's not they, Biden, they eat their own. Um, <laughs> yeah. So. You know, what, what we outlined last week, which I think would be an effective line of prosecution, is here are all the tangible ways that if Trump were reelected and his policies were enacted, policies for which he would have the ability to do it through executive action, not Congress, you know, your wait time at the airport would double. The number of flights available for you to purchase would get cut in half. Um, items on the shelves of supermarkets would be radically 
fewer. Um, you know, all of these things that really would impact people's lives. Th- that's where I would be focusing on running the campaign if I were Team Biden. I, I don't know what they're actually doing, um, but it doesn't seem like this. So, you know, um, and he's certainly not going to get any younger in the next 12 months. So I, I don't know that there is necessarily a plan other than just to hope for the best. You know, there is a world where maybe in like a March. Is this your scenario? This is my scenario. Okay. He says, and, and there's a reason why I think it would make sense to wait till March or okay. so. Go ahead. He says, you know what? Uh, I just love this country too much. And I think that there's too much risk. You know, my age should not be an issue. It is ageism and everything else. But at the same time, it is. And I do not want to put the future of this country into the world at risk uh, of Donald Trump. And so I'm going to finish my term, but I'm not going to run. Right. By the way, and then he can also pardon Hunter if he wants to. And the country's going to fucking need a pardon. Um, I don't I don't understand what the, where the Hunter thing. The Hunter just Biden. an incentive for Biden to, to not run. Oh, so he's like, I get to take my kid off the table. And yeah. Then, and then. I can go into retirement knowing that I didn't just hang him out to dry. Correct. Okay. Um, and the reason why March would be good is so if you were Newsom or Whitmer or Pritzker or Shapiro or Kamala Harris or anyone who might run for president if Biden weren't running, um, you've already missed the filing deadline in some of the early primary states. So you're not getting in there. And they're more and more happening. And I think in a weird way, the best thing Biden could do for the party is to actually obviate the primaries completely and just make this a true convention selection um, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, it would generate a ton of interest and excitement, right? Like that's the kind of thing It would be like the in-season tournament for the NBA. It would. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> LeBron has proved this idea the works. in-season non-primary primary. Anyway, right. Go, keep going. right. So that's, that's number one. N- number two, people like a winner and whoever comes out of the convention will be the winner. And look, even the candidates now get a, a post-convention bounce uh, of a couple of points. It doesn't necessarily last. So I think if you won the whole thing, that's pretty big. Now, to Megan's point, like the left would have to, whoever it is, say we're, we're fully in support of Gretchen Whitmer, whoever, right? Because yeah. um, otherwise they could undermine the whole thing. But assuming you could pull that off, and then you only have like a three-month general election, which I think actually might work to the advantage because... You know, it's less time for the public to realize everything they hate about the Democratic candidate. And wait, so let's talk about the March timing. I, I understand. So it's you're past like the primary season. So yeah, count, March, April, something right. like that. But past why, Super Tuesday. But and but you need some time for the kind of battle to unfold. Yeah, I mean, you, kind yeah of? You, you still need campaigns to launch. Right. And you need people to do all of the wrangling publicly and privately to try to win um, at the convention. Okay. And so that's why I thought March is sort of like. Enough time for the campaign, for the five candidates that I mentioned, or at least I would say Newsom and Pritzker both because they just have a fuck ton of money already. Right. They can just jump And right Harris because she's already the VP. I think they can Does all... Harris stand a chance in this, do you think? Does she somehow just discover her inner something and like I mean, who, surprise people? Who, who knows, right? You could sit here, I mean, and and game out. It'd, it'd be a fun thing. I'm sure if, if this were to happen, we'll game it out a million times on this podcast, like how it is that you sort of make it all work um but it's definitely conceivable in the in it's hard to imagine biden just coming to this right but if his health does decline in some material way Mm -hmm. before march like he's gonna have to do something like this if he breaks a hip or something yeah exactly something dramatic like yeah yeah for sure um well look from a according to our friend jeff pollock okay 
I was going to uh, ask you about the tax group. He's in from it. a uh, ballot access standpoint, for Harris to automatically receive the line that Biden has already qualified to stand for mm-hmm. in the states, he she would have to become the president now. He would have to leave immediately. If she were the president, then I guess that ballot line could transfer to her. Okay. But if she's the VP and he's still the president, even if he's not running, I think she's in the same spot as right. everybody Right, so there's going to be a lot of pressure from her people to have him do it that way, right? Yeah, although I don't... Look, I could see a world where maybe, maybe, maybe 1% chance he does eventually decide not to run. I don't see a world where he resigns early unless he literally physically can't. Right. Can't, can't, can't. I mean, look, look, Reagan had Alzheimer's at the end of his term and he managed to hang on, so... Right, but he wasn't running again. Oh, but no. I see what you mean, right. But I, so yeah, but, but to, 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 to make it, it the final eight right. months yeah. or, or whatever it is. So, so Jeff, and I know in your text group, as we've talked about with Howard and Jeff on the podcast... Yeah. It's not that you're the outlier exactly, but you're throwing some grenades in there sometimes that like others are like, come on, Bradley. Me? Grenades? Well, <laughs> maybe that's the wrong word. But definitely like you're saying things that like, they're like, come on, that's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm the one that throws out right. the crazy scenarios. Right. So yeah. is this like, is this, this one is of the crazy me, scenarios? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying there's anything to this other than my crazy scenario. No, but it sounds, but it sounds totally like, like I'm when you, hopeful I know exactly. I, oh, I think where the group, I don't want to betray the group's confidence, but right. where, where the group did agree was that a convention outcome could actually be a very favorable scenario. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I mean, I love the idea of like what a convention is where you, where you don't know the, the end, the, the end result. I mean, that's what a convention yeah. is supposed I, to be. I love yeah. the irony of it being in Chicago to the most sort of corrupt yeah. back dealing city in America. Also with the legacy of protests and terrible things and, happening there. Like, yeah. And, and also, um, thank God in a way that New York didn't win because if Adams is indicted, okay. um, yeah. if oh, yeah. the host of the convention is now being accused by the Biden administration of being a criminal, like that's not good. Okay, so Bradley, what what are the let's say there's like influential Democrats out there listening to this podcast yeah. and they're like, oh my god, Bradley just finally like like he finally delivered. nailed it, he got yeah. it. Like, how do I how do I use not, my influence, my money, my? I mean, all you could do is I don't know, Joe Donilon or, but Ron who could Klain go to who could go to Joe John. and be like, Joe, here we go. Here's and by the, the way, I'm not. I am sure that people are going to all of them all the time and telling them this, and they're either saying. I hear you, but he's going to run. Or they don't want to lose power, so therefore they're pushing him to run. Either way, I, I don't. I just. I don't think anyone listening to this podcast. I think the only thing that could happen would be polls keep getting worse and worse and worse. Biden feels physically worse and worse. Hunter's the reality of Hunter going to jail gets more and more real. And there's only one escape path. Well, yeah, and it's that not, seems to be the direction. But right? it certainly yes. does seem the direction. But yes. it's not just an escape hatch. He gets to be a hero. I mean, imagine the speech mm-hmm. he gets to make right in in March, where he's like, he's like, this is what's best for me, for my family, for the Democratic Party, and for the country. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. like it's it's history will look back on him kindly. That way. I mean, yeah, the, the, the and, news, and next day headlines well, will look back on him kindly. Hold like, on though. Yeah. So LBJ gave that wait, speech, right? Wait, you're. you're I'm all excited about your idea. Now you're stepping me back. No, no, no. I'm just thinking like, uh, is it necessarily... LBJ gave that speech, right? Do you know know when he gave it, that speech, by the way? No. Uh, The day before I was born. And um, my mom... I would not have guessed that. My mom (laughs) was so upset that he wasn't running. Weirdly, my mom was... She she almost didn't have you. Yeah. yeah. Forget. No, LBJ, I don't want to go either. It's a package deal. (laughs) 
<laughs> um, she was so upset. I was a month early. Um, she went home the next day. And and no, here's shit. here's the yeah. I don't know if this is the kicker. I don't know what it is, but the next day was April first, nineteen sixty eight. Yeah. Huh. So so LBJ though, I don't think that April speech Fool's was seen Day's as heroic. It was more self serving. Like I have fucked up Vietnam so badly. That basically I can't win, and he tried to frame it as heroic, but I don't think I don't think it's thought of as. Such. And do you remember? Did he sort of hand the baton off to who runs the who's in '68? The Hubert Humphrey is the nominee, yeah, right? The nominee. But you'd have to be able to frame it in a way, and maybe you could because it's not like you're leaving because you got us enmeshed in some yeah immoral the war. Are different. You're leaving because the threat of Trump is so significant that. You ran in 20 because you, or you said you ran in 20 because you thought you were the one who could beat him, and now the world has changed sufficiently that you think you're not the best person to beat him. That That is somewhat more altruistic. Do you want to do you want to loop in mobile voting here? Oh, we yeah, ta- sure. We're talking so about l- that. Last, last point on this, and then we'll go to the EU AI uh, law, um, which is the assumption that we're all working with the mobile voting project is the vast, vast majority of incumbents will not like what we're doing because we they know how to hold and win power in low turnout primaries, and they're not going to want to take the risk of that changing in any way. The argument that at least I'm wondering about, and for whatever it's worth, Bob vehemently disagrees with me about this, <laughs> but, uh, but I did meet with a state senator today uh, on a Section 230 type of issue that he was seeking support on, and I, I did test this out on him, um, which is, yes, you know how to win in low turnout primaries, and so arguably any threat to that is bad for you. On the other hand, all you have to really do is just move to where the district is, wherever it is. So if, if you were, if you were where the voters were, which was sort of the 12% on the far right or the far left, now you get to move to the middle. It won't work for some people who are true ideologues, but 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 for most of them, they'll adapt to where they have to adapt to because that's the upside of them believing in nothing is they just want to hold their jobs. Um, but you can say to them, look, your job sucks. Everybody hates you. Your numbers are <laughs> terrible. You're under threat of losing all the time now. Because, Bradley, get out of my office right now. You know, I'll say, I don't right. want to hear this. You, know, you, you, you get nothing done. You can't work with anyone else. You can't compromise. Um, like You have a terrible life. And this would allow all of that to change, right? And allow your legacy to change and your day-to-day to change and everything else. And maybe because being an incumbent now is so bad, because the the, the poll numbers are so low. Uh, you know, Eric Adams got his the Q poll last week had him at twenty eight percent. It was the lowest recorded of any mayor, I think, in modern history uh, in in New York City. So um, maybe the situation has grown so untenable that politicians who would normally instinctively be opposed to mobile voting would say, you know what? I need a solution to make my life better, and and I'll take the mild increased risk on the electoral side for the material gain on the government side. Maybe, probably not. Why, why does Bob think it's a bad idea? Because it's totally unrealistic, and politicians will only ever think about the next election. No, just think of they're the exception. Yeah, he's basically quoting me back to me. Right, but but pro- <laughs> probably right. Um, it's good you can recognize that. Yes. <laughs> um, EU. Yeah, another AI, area where Bob and I disagree. Uh, <laughs> So um, we're gonna it, have to get Bob here on the podcast to defend to himself. Defend, yeah, that's right. I'm just slandering left <laughs> and right here. Um, Poor Bob. So the EU on Friday agreed to a landmark piece of legislation that will regulate artificial intelligence, um, and, and it is whether you like the bill or not. I do. Bob does not. But he, and I'll explain why he doesn't, not why I do. But but either way, it's a huge deal, right? Because. Um, the EU has been out front and incredibly proactive and I think good generally 
on tech regulation broadly, whether it's social media or data protection or personal privacy, antitrust, all these other things. Um, and here they are again being proactive and really doing something about um, something that, as we discussed earlier, may pose an existential threat to humanity. I mean, the thing with AI is it has the potential to do so much good, right? Like we were just in, I was just in an investment committee an hour ago and we were looking at an education company and then we were separately talking about AI. And I said, AI can make that education proposition much, much better because if all of a sudden all learning can be tailored to how each individual student learns, and some people are visual learners, and some people are spoken, and some people are written, and some people, people need all kinds of different stuff. And the reason why teachers struggle is like, you have one person trying to meet 28 needs at the same time, and it doesn't really work. Um, but if all of a sudden the technology made it so, then and this is a company that sort of offers other options for for students and things like that. Um, you know, you don't need the traditional public school system necessarily to function the way that it currently does because um, personalized learning through AI could, could change the ballgame completely, right? Or or healthcare, um, you know, spotting diseases decades before you otherwise would, right? And saving your life as a result of it or, or the ability to create new prescription drugs like at a fraction of the time because clinical trials just become AI simulations until they get it right. So... Um, it has a lot of potential for good, a lot of potential for bad. I think what the EU did is smart. They created basically a risk-based assessment for AI. And they said, you know what? Um, we don't know enough about AI yet to say these are the exact rules that it has to have and not have. But we do know that there are some things AI could do that would be really terrible, like uh, surveillance. So, you know, you go to an anti-Trump protest and they use facial recognition technology to figure, okay, that's Hugo Lindgren, and they go arrest your wife and kids, or whatever it is, or cognitive behavior, behavioral manipulation, right? So we already banned subliminal advertising, for example, but let's assume that AI could just take it to a wildly different and more effective level. You don't want that, right? So mm -hmm. there are things where um, what their model would say is these are the greatest risks, and therefore there will be the most regulation and the most scrutiny around these areas. Um, and less around others that are less of a risk. Um, and it's also foundational, meaning what they're really regulating are the large language models that are the basis for AI as opposed to the specific applications, right? So like I'll give you sort of a dumb example, but, but Fact Battle, which was that um, little website that, that you and I and some other people built where you can debate sports. Fact Battle used AI because ChatGPT was the judge of the debates, right? That is not... There's no societal risk or impact on fact battle to the rest of the world one way or the <laughs> other. So therefore, no need to regulate fact battle. But chat GPT, which is the underlying tool, yeah, you very well might. Or on the flip side, if fact battle got into politics and really succeeded and there were millions of people on the site and then AI was being used to cognitively manipulate people, then you very well may want fact And that's battle Bob's point, right? No, Bob, Bob's point oh. is that it's over-inclusive and under-inclusive, okay. which means his view is that over-inclusive in that they include things like education and healthcare in the categories of high risk, and he thinks that will deter a lot of innovation. In those critical in those, areas. In those right? critical areas. Right. Um, now, it's not all bad because it's it's funny. We, we talked about it over the weekend, and then we just, just talked about it again like an hour ago. You know, it does actually mean it's probably good for the U.S. in that it pushes a lot of that business and innovation uh, into this country where that kind of regulation is less likely to happen. Um, 
but he worries that it'll deter good innovation and at the same time uh, that would be over-inclusive but then under-inclusive because if you're regulating the foundational models and not fact battle as an individual uh, company fact battle could be harmless or it could be harmful in the ways that we just laid it out, right? If it's who's ultimately the GOAT, LeBron or Jordan, like who gives a shit? Like it's fun for us to, to argue about, but it doesn't matter from a societal standpoint. Whereas if it's, you know, uh, a, a huge battle as to whether or not there should be, you know, the right to an abortion, um, that's very different, right? So so I think Bob's view is that you would, you would deter good stuff by being over-inclusive and then you would miss important stuff by being right. under-inclusive. I kind of think that just given where we are in the, you know, we're still in the first inning with AI, that um, this is the only way to do it intelligently. And one of the things that I liked about the deal ultimately is people on both sides complained, right? You had people in tech complaining, you had people like civil liberties groups complaining. I thought that was good. If everyone's complaining, <laughs> that probably means they reach but, a but decent balance. But what does that balance. do for, I mean, I, I realize the number of politicians in America who are looking over at Europe and thinking, hmm, I wonder if they have a good idea over there is like zero. Zero. Um, but, the, uh, but to the extent that someone is looking at it, does, does this show a path for something happening in Congress? That's, yeah, I know. I, I, I think, and I, Bob and I would agree on this one, that a lot of what got done in Europe will be reflected in U.S. policy eventually, right? right? Um, we think it may happen much more at the state level than the federal level. Right. Just like you're seeing, it's interesting, well, it's interesting to me, uh, <laughs> social media, um, feds have failed completely to regulate it. States from California and the CCPA, Utah did a really good bill around child protection. New York, uh, that's what I was meeting with the state senator, Andrew Grenardis. He and the attorney general and the governor just put together a, a child protection bill around social media that I think is really smart in the way it regulates algorithms. Um, they have done a lot, but a lot of the constitutionality of it is very questionable. So a lot of these state laws are not in effect because Google or whoever sues and they kind of have an argument from a purely legal standpoint. Um, with AI, what we were just discussing was, you know, are the same types of jurisdictional issues in play? And I think, you know, the view we took is that because these are mainly going to be consumer protection, that's within the purview of state government already, um, and therefore they can pass these rules. And therefore, if states can pass AI rules, you know, you can develop a working framework um, or potentially on a bipartisan basis, by the way, just like you're seeing the social media stuff is is not specific to the ideology of, of, of a blue state or a red state um, that could effectively serve as the de facto AI regulatory scheme for this country, um, regardless of whether the federal government does their job or not. And you have to assume that they will not do it. <laughs> so Laurel and I were watching the, the Chiefs-Bills football game okay. yesterday. And the Which the ref blew that call at the end, right? No. Oh, really? There was a terrible... It wasn't a bad call. It was... Oh. I mean, the guy fucked up and he was off sides and it ruined the whole play and therefore right. the game, but he was off The guy that the Giants traded, yeah, Darius Tony. But, but, he, yeah. but he was off sides. Okay. But, but, but the thing we were discussing earlier, I said to her, is Patrick Mahomes the most iconic Kansas City athlete ever? Right, and this, right. we kind of went through and talked about George. Oh, and George, Laurel's from like not far from Kansas. Not City, far, right? yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. She's so from, she has a, a, an informed view of this. Yeah, and and she, and we talked about George Brett, and then we kind of looked up the Pine Tar incident and all that. Um, I have a, I have a Kansas City person. Keep talking. So, um, and yeah, we concluded that yeah. So then I kind of went online, 
And I was just like I said, who's the most iconic athlete from every city? And this website, Yard Barker, actually had did this. All right now, it's two years old. So, for example, it does have George Brett instead of Mahomes. Mahomes has since Satchel Page was the one I was thinking of. He's kind of a good one for Where Kansas is he City. From? Oh, is he from Kansas City? Well, he played for the Kansas City Monarchs a lot. He moved around quite a bit, but I think that was the team that's pretty that he's good. most remembered for. So I think base football is so much bigger there than baseball. Yep. Yep. That mm-hmm. now that Mahomes has won two Super Bowls and very well may win more. I'm um, sure he will. Yeah. <laughs> so so I thought some of these were fantastic and some were really surprising. You loved the Calgary one, right? Didn't you love that one? I'd never heard of the guy because it was <laughs> hockey only. Um like Atlanta Chipper Jones, I, and I love Chipper Jones in the sense of like I appreciate what a competitor he was against the Mets. He just doesn't quite seem enough. Wait, you're supposed to hate Chipper Jones, Bradley? Yeah, I, 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 can't, I did when he played. Right, but right. Now like, you look back fondly at how much him. you used to hate him. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I respect right. him. Okay. Like so that that one to me, whereas like Boston. Tom Brady, like, okay, greatest football player of all time. That no makes chance sense. that anyone comes close. Although, you know, you could say Ted Williams because he's the best hitter of all time. Yeah, and you could say Larry Bird. Also, it's the New England Patriots. Basketball Jesus. Um, but but Brady's the right answer. He okay, is, all right. He is the greatest player of the most popular sport. Okay, go ahead. Um, I'm fine. But now, and some of this is just about the history of sports in the city, right? Right. Like, Boston has had professional sports since uh, for over a century. Yeah. Charlotte, Kim, Newton. I know, uh, what, but I think that's fine. No, it's not. He was like... Should, wait, shouldn't it be like... Isn't there like a NASCAR guy that should be... In, right, like, some right? Dale Earnhardt. Dale Earnhardt, something yeah. Something like that. Yeah, I don't know. Like, like Cam Newton, like... Just know. to me, that feels very weak. <laughs> um, especially when... Now, let me give you after him the next few names. Okay. Chicago, Michael Jordan. Yeah. Cincinnati, Oscar Robertson. Cleveland, no, LeBron come on. James. Pete Rose, Cincinnati. Come on. Oscar Robertson? Okay, but... Great but, basketball But, but nonetheless... Player. Oscar Robertson is a much greater basketball player than Cam Newton was a football player. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, of course. But yes, yeah, I, yeah, I know Pete Rose or Johnny Bench. Johnny Bench. But the idea of Pete Rose, I mean, I mean, whatever, he's obviously had his problems, but just iconic-wise, like... Yeah. In Columbus, Jack, Nichol, Jack Nicholas. So, um, you would never have known where Jack Nicholas ne- Never. I don't even know. I realized it was Tiger Woods from like Silicon Valley or something. He grew like up Palo in Northern Alto California. He grew yeah. up in Northern California. Okay. Like some of them are perfect. Like Denver, John Elway, right? Like yeah, yeah. Edmonton, Wayne, Gretzky. Uh, <laughs> like how they throw Edmonton there. Yeah. Or actually one that's really great is like Louisville is Ali. Yeah, that is good. But then that should have opened the door for Earnhardt or someone like that too. Right. Well, right? yeah, who knows where Earnhardt's from. Like but Memphis, Mike Conley. Like Mike Conley is like, He's never made an all-star team. They should he's just like, pick, he's famous for never having just, made an all-star team. They should team. just pick like like Elvis Presley from Memphis and just be yeah, like, sorry, there's, there's, there's no other icons. We can't pick a sports guy or, or anything. Or there's just got to be someone who was born there who became a great whatever that's better Elvis than Elvis Presley Conley. probably played some sport at some point, like tag or something. Who knows? Are right. going to make your own list? Uh, well, so my, Miami, yeah. Dwayne Wade, right? So I, I love D. Wade, but right. like it's got to be Marino, doesn't it? Yeah, or one of those guys from the seventeen and O team, like like Bob oh right, Lucy. Zonker, or even does a coach Lucy. count? Like Don Shula was kind of a major guy, right? Yeah, and I think that would be reasonable. And now we're back into problem child again. Nashville, Steve McNair, like he's about at the Cam Newton level, maybe yeah, slightly Dolly Parton better. at for Nashville. I'm going Dolly Parton. There's got to be someone iconic athlete. And then you get to like New York, where it's it's Babe Ruth, fine, no argument, but like. There it's, could be 15 from New York. Right. right. So, and I, I, I'm going to give you credit for this one, Bradley, because I think the best, the iconic New York athlete is John McEnroe. Right. And the reason why Hugo's giving me credit for Because we talked about is, it earlier and he, 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 to remind credit. you that, I, well, right. <laughs> true. But it's because Howard, not that long ago, last year in the playoffs, said wisely that Jalen Brunson is the best free agent signing in New York since Reggie Jackson, which right. I think is very right. 
And then we got into a discussion of like who are the most on that whatever that weird basketball text chain we're on. I, we are we have two basketball texts. I, I think it's mostly the same people, but one of them has a name and one doesn't. Okay. One is Mace in your face, and I don't know jo- what the I, other one is. If it has a name, it's because Josh I stays on it. He loves to name text chains. Uh, I think he's on both. Um, but anyway, <laughs> and um, and we were discussing the most iconic New York athletes. And I remember raising McEnroe, and I was like, "Oh, right, that's a good one." Yeah. So, so yes. You, so then you, I raised you it. You learned and it. From I, me. I tried to take credit. You learned for it by watching. But me. now I get back um, to you. Yeah. Um, okay. So the uh, like L.A. How do we wrap this up, brother? They they L.A. Magic. And, oh right. I don't know. Kareem, Sandy, Come Koufax, on, Magic. Uh, Sandy Koufax. <laughs> Jerry West, <laughs> LeBron James, Shaquille O'Neal. How about Kobe? Sandy Koufax is definitely the why Jewish not, sports icon of all Why not of Kobe, actually? What's that? When did Kobe die? Uh, just like, what, five years ago? Was it 2020 or 2019? Oh, I thought I it was... Like it was right it, before Kobe. Yeah. I, f- I feel like he's more of an icon than, than Magic. I don't know. In, Magic in, is... In Magic, like... I mean, that's that's actually... It's funny. Like, Larry Bird is also at a Boston possibility. Like, he'd be up there with Ted Williams and Tom Brady. But yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, fun list, and I think the answer is Mahomes. So it, it it would be fun to do an alternate version of this. Maybe we just did. But, uh, uh, <laughs> I sometimes. think we can probably leave I, it there. I, I, that I was think, good. I think we've covered it. So um, so Bradley, we're going to be back next week with your your book picks for twenty twenty three, and then we have uh, two episodes after that on twenty twenty four predictions. Um, predictions, but it's it's a little bigger than well, there will be predictions, but there will also just be some general. Kind of and are ideas. We, we bring other people on. No, or no, 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 no. We're not. Okay. No, no. We've done that in the past, and it's worked out great. But like this year, it's just pure, unadulterated Bradley Tusk right. target. Well, you can you'll obviously reference the people you've been talking to. We, and, we so. will bring Chris on. So I mean, I don't think I'm saying anything out of school here. There's wild, rampant speculation in your political circles that Eric Adams is about to be indicted at any moment. Right. Right. Now. Maybe that is all smoke and no fire. But it's been discussed. So you'll want to have Chris on when that happens. If, if Adams happens. is indicted, then yeah, Chris will come on because we need to talk about that. Okay. All right, Bradley. See you next week. See ya. Firewall is recorded on the Lower East Side of PNT Netware, home to New York City's only free podcast recording studio. Let us know if you have a question, feedback, or ideas for a guest. Just email me at bradley at firewall.media or find me on Twitter, or some people now call it X, at Bradley Tusk. And don't forget to pre-order my debut novel, Obvious in Hindsight, wherever books are sold, especially here at PNT Network.